our big loser and the most apologetic out of all of us. So today we're putting him to the test with the No, no Apology gauntlet. gauntlet. You, my friend, are going to have to run the gauntlet stopping at these signs where you'll find the awful task that you have to do to people. You can say anything you want, except, except I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Ready? No apologies. Here we go. Step on a person's foot. Here he goes. <laughs> How do you feel inside right now? I'm nervous, very. <laughs> sneeze. Oh, guys, sneeze on someone. <laughs> How do you sneeze on someone and not say you're sorry? You gotta do it. You gotta do it. Look at you. <laughs> wow. I can't do any more. You're doing all right. You only got two more. Blow an air horn. <laughs> <laughs> right under the sign there, there's an air horn. I think that's a pretty applicable video to the topic we're talking about today. Welcome to part four of our series, Right in the Eye. I think it's pretty applicable because I think we kind of do that kind of behavior all the time. And I know what you're thinking. No, I don't. You know, I wouldn't do that to someone. And if I did, I would most definitely say, I'm sorry. But hear me out here. What did you do the last time you cut someone off while driving? What did you do the last time, you know, you didn't quite wait at the stop sign, even though it really wasn't your turn, you just kind of blew through it, and everybody was like, what are you doing? What did you do the last time you were trying to get out of an event while driving, and you kind of budged in line to get out sooner? You probably did one of these. You looked out your window and said, oh, sorry, oh, I got to get going, you know, okay, thank you, you know, something like that, as if your apology makes it better, because what did you do the next week? You did it again. So were you really sorry? Well, like, sure, you apologized, but why? Does, did you just do it to make yourself feel better? Because you just kept doing it. I mean, it wasn't the last time you cut someone off, right? It wasn't the last time you feigned apology to just kind of make the situation a little bit better. I mean, when was the last time you had to apologize to a friend or a roommate or your spouse? You know, hey, I'm not going to be late, but then you were late. And then not a week later, you were late again, and you said, I won't happen again, and everybody, even you, kind of knew it was going to happen again. What, what was that last thing you did, maybe even within the last week, that you kind of know deep down you should have said sorry or kind of at least a half apology, but you didn't? And people are starting to think that maybe you're not actually sorry, and you're not actually sorry because, well, you didn't stop doing it. My daughter is kind of in the season of life where she, as a two-year-old, which is understandable, not necessarily an excuse, but definitely understandable, where we're throwing food sometimes, and then she looks at us, what are we going to do? She draws on things, and then she kind of looks at us to see what we're going to do, and you say, hey, could you come here? And what does she do? She goes absolutely the opposite direction as fast as she possibly can, and you sit there, and you're like, what are you doing, child? And at the very least, child, if you're not going to listen to me, when we come back together, could you at least say sorry? Could you at least 
offer up some sort of apology, at least the apology that I would personally prefer goes something like this. I'm sorry, my amazing, my thoughtful, my handsome, my loving, amazing, 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 amazing parents. Maybe a bit too far. I want to choose a better path. That's what you want, right? But are you going to get it? Are they going to do it again? Probably. I mean, does that sound like a teenager or a child or an adult child in your life? Or maybe, does that kind of sound like you? Speaking of you, how do you say sorry to yourself? Maybe recently you've let yourself down. Maybe you let yourself down a lot. How do you say sorry to yourself? Maybe you try to be better next time. You work really hard on it next time, but you can't get past the fact that you keep doing the same thing over and over again, even though you told yourself you wouldn't. I mean, you're on your fifth or sixth time of doing it again, and can you keep ignoring the fact that you can't stop doing it? I mean, you were there. You made the decision. You tried to stop, but you couldn't. And ultimately, the fact that you haven't figured out a way to apologize to yourself, to kind of reconcile yourself to yourself, is ultimately why you kind of feel low sometimes. Because you feel out of control. You want to make it right, but you just can't. And you don't know how. I think the root of that problem of actually being sorry, the fact that we struggle to do that in our minds and our hearts, is kind of the main gist of the whole series so far that we've been talking about. And it's this right here. I want what I want when I want with whom I want. You probably have this memorized. If you've been with us through this entire series, we talk about this so much. But I think this is why we don't apologize. And if you disagree, I just want you to consider for a second. What would you have rather said when you cut that person off driving? When you budged to get that closer spot in the Costco checkout or the Costco gas line, when you saw the other car coming at the drive through at McDonald's from the other side of the parking lot, so you sped up to get there first, and you looked at them, and you're like, I'm so sorry, I gotta go. Did you really want to apologize, or would you have rather said something like, I want what I want? Just looked out the window and said, I want what I want. I bet there's a part of you that kind of just wanted to tell people, I cut in line, hey, I want what I want. Isn't that kind of true of your heart? Isn't that kind of true of the American ideal, in a sense, that, that we as Americans kind of venerate and glorify those who, you know, personify, who embody the, the ideas of like conquest and the achievement and success and power and status and money. That's what we kind of lift up. That's what we kind of celebrate as a culture. But those are not ideas that lend themselves to apologies well, are they? You don't think status and apologizing. You don't think power and apologizing. You don't think money and apologizing. In fact, I would suggest to you the more money people have that the less they tend to even say they're sorry. People, think about it. I mean, think about the people that you know that have kind of reached the American dream. Do you see them as the apologizing type of people? 
Probably not. Because they've gotten to where they are off the idea of going after what they want. And not until they're ultimately forced to face the problem that they've created, the thing that they've done wrong, the thing that they should apologize for, until they can't avoid it any longer, until that press conference comes where they have to stand up and pretend to read an apology, even then you know that their sorry isn't really enough. Speaking of, I mean, why does those sorries fall short so often? Why do your sorries fall short so often? I mean, it kind of helps, right? I mean, to say sorry, it's better than not saying sorry. It's better to say sorry than to air horn someone in the ear and just stare at them or throw food across the table and just stare your parents down. It's better to say sorry. But there's a part of your heart that just knows that the sorry falls short. The answer to this question is in the book that we've been looking at for the past few weeks in this series, the book of Judges, which is a book, but also a period of time. It's a period in the nation of Israel's history where there were no human kings. It was like the first time in human documented history where God was supposed to be the king and God gave the people laws in which to live by. And, and they were supposed to work that way, but it didn't work that way. And so God had to bring in these judges, essentially these pseudo leaders to kind of fix things. And the reason they needed to fix things is because things needed fixing. Because people kept breaking them. They kept acting out and disobeying and doing what they wanted in their own eyes and walking away from God. So God brought these judges to try to fix things. And last week, we looked at this crazy story of Abimelech in chapter 9 of the book of Judges. And then six verses later, after this crazy story of Abimelech, guess what the nation of Israel did? Well, the book of Judges tells us, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And I think, I think it actually makes just as much sense to swap the word evil for our kind of key phrase in the story. Again, the Israelites did what they wanted with whom they wanted, when they wanted. They wanted to do what they wanted. And it was evil. The Israelites again did what they wanted in the eyes of the Lord. Kind of makes sense. But this verse, this this verse begins to answer the question of why sorry falls short. And it's this word right here. Again. Again, this phrase happens at least a dozen times throughout the 300-year history that encompasses the book of Judges. Again, the Israelites, again, they turned away. Again, they did evil. Again and again and again. Again means there is a pattern, a pattern that you may have been sorry once, but then you did it again and again, and now it becomes a pattern pattern. So how can you really be sorry? See, a quote um, that I just recently heard that I thought was really good, a mistake repeated more than once is a decision. Kind of gets you thinking, doesn't it? A mistake repeated more than once is now a decision. It's not really a mistake anymore. It's a choice. 
The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Astras and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Amorites, and the gods of the Philistine. I mean, this, think about the busy temple week, the busy church week that the Israelites had going on. I mean, you got Monday with the Baals, Tuesday with Sidon, Wednesday night service in Moab, and then Sundays, if you can believe it, they had a morning and night service maybe with the Ammonites. I'm just making this stuff up, but can you imagine trying to balance all those gods? And you've got to look at the nation of Israel and you've got to say, y'all, this isn't a mistake anymore. You're making this decision. You are intentionally disobeying God. You're intentionally doing wrong. How can you claim you didn't know? How can you claim that you're sorry when you've literally invited all these other gods into your lives and breaking God's commandment to have no other God before me? But what did they do? They did so often what we do is they surrounded themselves by enough people, enough sometimes imperfect people, enough people who were falling short that they justified their actions because they appeared to be better than everybody else. See, they didn't need to apologize because they didn't drink as bad as everybody else did. They didn't need to apologize because they didn't stay out as late as, as the, the Moab people did. They didn't need to apologize because they didn't spend as much as the people in Sidon did. You know, they, they, they stood up and they justified their behavior and they justified the need not to apologize because, well, they didn't yell like the other people did or as much as the other people did. They didn't need to defend themselves because at least they weren't a Democrat. At least they weren't a Republican. At least they don't have a criminal record. At least they don't fight as much as everybody else. And listen, hey, Maybe it's true. Maybe you don't fight with your spouse as much as everybody else does. Maybe you don't drink as much as everybody else does, but come on, let's be honest with yourself. Are you just trying to get out of feeling bad? You're just trying to get out of uh, having to apologize? Are you ultimately just trying to get away with doing what's right in your own eyes? If you were sorry, if you recognized the harm you were causing other people, if you were sorry, would you keep doing it again and again and again? See, sorry is supposed to come from a place. Not of getting by with what you want. It's supposed to come from a place of remorse. Listen, I, I legitimately feel bad that I just cut you off in line. How many times, come on, how many times do you legitimately felt bad when you said sorry? You see, sorry is supposed to come from a place of I feel bad, I feel guilty. Therefore, I'm going to make a change. Therefore, this remorse leads me to taking a step, a step of what we call repentance. When sorry means something, when sorry starts to actually make a difference, when sorry stops being a pattern, it's when we have achieved repentance. Now, some of you are tempted to tune out 
because this is a bad word in your vocabulary. This is a painful word in your vocabulary. It's a churchy, religious word, which is so unfortunate because this is a powerful, transformative word. Unfortunately, this word has so often been misused and often yelled through a really crappy speaker at sporting events and things where you can only catch like every other word, but you kind of get the main gist from the sign that's, you know, above the person's head or they're holding up and, you know, they're, you know, yelling into the microphone and it's really scratchy and, you know, repent, Lord's coming, y'all gonna die. And you're like, wow, that's just a real cheerful message. I don't like those Christian people. And I get that. But what repentance really means, and I talk about this a lot because I don't want you to shy away from something just because someone else has misused it. Fair? It means to change path, to pick a new direction. And I think deep down when it comes to some of the deepest hurts in our lives, the things that we have never owned up to, confessed, the things that we really should apologize for, but we don't, I think deep down we hope for repentance. I think deep down, we pray. In the darker moments of our lives, we pray for a new direction. Take a look at this visual, this picture. I mean, this is like stereotypical Iowa here, right? You got stop signs on only two paths, and then the rest is gravel and fields of corn, right? Repentance means I'm traveling in this direction. I can see down the road I know where I'm going and it's not good and I'm sorry and I'm remorseful and I'm not going to keep going down that way anymore. I'm going to take a hard 90 degree turn and change directions completely. Not gradual like, oh, you know, we'll just kind of wander into this cornfield or beanfield. Maybe that's a beanfield actually. And then we're going to kind of wander back onto the road. No, 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 no. It's a stop and turn, 90 degree turn. And this is difficult. And it's difficult because it's so much easier. I mean, look at that. You can see so far down this path. You know how this path's going to go. Why not just keep going down the path, even though it's wrong, even though it's hurting you, it's hurting other people. Why not just keep going down the path that you know that you're comfortable with, that you can see where it's going rather than taking a turn, which is so much more difficult to see. I mean, how many collisions are head-on collisions at intersections? It doesn't happen. It's when they get sideswiped or T-boned because it's so much more difficult to see. But unfortunately for us to repent, to actually apologize, to actually make a change, for actually our sorry to mean something, it means we have to make a complete turn. But unfortunately for most of us, it takes a car wreck at an intersection, figuratively speaking, for actually us to walk out of that vehicle, that smashed kind of husk that was our life, and actually make a change. See, the Israelites experienced this car crash. Here's what Judges says in the next verse, verse 7. He sold them, God sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Amorites, who that year shattered them, who that year crushed them. See, God didn't want to bring the car wreck. In fact, I would suggest to you, and we're going to talk about this in a second, I don't think God actually caused the car wreck. God just stood back and let them choose to continue on the path that they were on following other gods. And it led to shattering, crushing destruction. 
See, the reason I say this is because of the words of the apostle Paul. And Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who was, uh, has an amazing story, life story of growing up this exceptional religious Jewish zealot, and then hating Christians, putting them in prison and killing them, and then meeting the, meeting the risen Jesus and totally turning his life. You want to talk about story of repentance? It is the story of Paul. One day, 90 degree turn, whole new direction for Paul. Amazing story. He says this about the consequences of sin, about when we choose to keep going down a path and essentially sinning against God and other people. He says, for the wages of sin, and remember sin is missing the mark with God or with others. It's when we fail to love like God created us to, or intended us to love. When we fail to love him, when we fail to love our neighbor, we fall short of that. We hurt other people around us. Sin is death. And I know you look at that word and you're like, oh, that's just so dramatic, Pastor Taylor. But isn't it true? Isn't it true that when you have been lied to, when, when someone has promised something to you and then they broke the promise, when someone has hurt you deeply, when someone steals or takes something from you, even if you can reconcile with them, even if you can come to peace with them, it's not quite the same, is it? It's never going to be exactly as it once was. You made it 97% of the way back, but there's still that little 3%. That part, my friends, that part that will never come back, that has died. It's never coming back. And you know that, and it's hard to accept it, but it is the consequences of sin. It is death. Death is always the result of missing the mark. Big misses, little misses. It's easy to slough the little stuff away, right? You know, I'm not as bad as the other people, so you just slough that away, right? It's hard to ignore the big stuff, the car wreck level stuff. But when you've been crushed, when you've experienced years of crushing like the nation of Israel did, you come to terms with this idea really quickly. And that's why if we go back to our picture here real quick, that's why if you look back at this picture, that's why sorry on its own isn't enough. Because sorry on its own doesn't change anything and continues to lead you down the path where the cost of the consequences of those sins, those things you should repent, say sorry and repent of doesn't stop. The consequences of that is death. And you know that if you think about it. Someone once asked me the question, it was a great question because it's a question I, I've thought a lot about, um, and I'm not saying I have the complete answer, but I just want to suggest the answer, the question and the answer to you. The question was essentially this, why is it, why does it seem like that some of the most powerful stories of life change in people, when God really steps into someone's life and just transforms it completely, when someone who's walking a life, maybe they're even skeptical or something and, and it completely transforms their life, something like that. Why is it that it always seems to require, it seems to require them hitting some sort of rock bottom in their life? But then you see from that point of hitting rock bottom on an authentic, real life, seeing it in action transformation. Why is that? 
My suggestion to you, my suspicion is, the reason that sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom to really experience life change, to really repent and change direction, is because when rock bottom hits, everything that used to build up your ego, your title, your family, your car, your money, you know, the pretending you know, that you have things that you really don't or, you know, make, trying to make yourself look better than you actually are, you know, trying to work through the drugs, that, you know, make you feel better than you actually are, all that kind of stuff that you kind of use to compensate and insulate yourself, your smarts, your work ethic, even some good things, some really good, valuable things have become this thing that insulates you from the reality of your life. When you hit rock bottom, that's gone. And you have nothing else left to hide behind. You have nothing else to help justify your actions, to explain away your decisions. You can't hide behind it anymore. And so you only have one option. Keep going straight or you make a hard turn. Here's what Israel did. The Israelites said to the Lord, Hey, Lord, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think is best, but please, 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 please rescue us now. Maybe it's time for you to take a page out of Israel's book and face the implications of death, implications of your life and your choices for what they are. And not try to, you know, apologize, keep trying to figure out a way to apologize for yourself and hide behind other things in your life, but to be honest with yourself, others, and God. And when you do that to actually make a change, just like the nation of Israel did, here's what they did. They got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. They repented. They changed paths. And it wasn't just a hollow sorry, it was a visible difference. So here's what I want you to consider. And this is big, and this is deep, and it's heavy, and it's not easy, and you're going to be really tempted to resist it. And I understand that I'm a human being too. I get that. I do the same exact thing. That's why I'm able to preach on it, okay? I get the resistance to what I'm going to suggest that you do next. I suggest that you try, at least in one area of your life where you know you really should do better, you really should make a change, where really something has a hold of your heart, your life, and you're on a path that isn't going to bring you to ultimately what you desire, you need to do this. You need to put that in this blank, and you need to say, my anger, my pain, my idling worship, my work, my goals, whatever I put in there is wrong. And I'm sorry. And I'm choosing a new path. Israel put in, Lord, we're worshiping other gods and it's wrong. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm choosing a new path. I'm choosing to follow, to serve you, Lord. Just like we talked about last week, about what it what if it, we made it all about God winning, not us winning? Imagine a world, just for a quick second, imagine a world where no one ever said, I'm sorry. Imagine that. 
You don't have to look too far, just look in like politics today and you can see an environment where nobody ever says they're sorry or at least genuinely apologizes. You can kind of see where that leads. Imagine those people who have wronged you never apologizing. In fact, you know that because you exist in a world where you have relationships of people who have hurt you have never apologized. Think about it. If you were unable to, incapable of, apologizing to someone you hurt. Doesn't that sound awful? It sounds painful. It sounds frustrating. It sounds weird. Imagine if all the people you wished had said sorry to you showed up one day and actually apologized. Actually said, I'm sorry that make your life better? that bring you a degree of peace? Would that take a weight off your shoulders? See, there is power in apologies. And not just I'm sorry and I repent. There is power in that step of life change because it begins a new path and hopefully a path towards God. And I get we want to resist it because we want to sit there and we want to say, oh, but Taylor, to admit that I want what I wanted was wrong means that maybe there's something wrong with me. I get that because it's so easy to get our self-confidence and our self-worth kind of wrapped up, wrapped up in our lives and the people around us and, and, and we become somewhat fragile. So to say that we did something wrong implies that there's something wrong with us. And we just can't take that because to admit that would mean kind of just breaking our insides and, and, and it would begin a domino effect emotionally that we, we honestly don't know where it would end. And so we want to avoid that altogether. Or to admit that what I wanted was wrong means that some, uh, that means maybe there's something wrong with me means that I'm going to stand out because you just don't see a lot of people that are genuinely apologizing these days. And so to stand out and apologize, I mean, what are people going to think? What are gonna, people going to think of what I have done wrong? What are, gonna, what are people going to think about maybe how I apologized for what I did wrong? And so in a lot of ways, it's just easier to keep pretending that we have it all together and we're perfect and we don't need to apologize for all the things that we've done. And in the inside, we're just kind of hurting and, and we know there's something more, but we just can't reach it because we just want to stay on the same path of a pretend world where we never have to repent, never have to change paths. And I get it. This is heavy stuff. This is deep stuff. This is somewhat religious in a sense, but not the negative religion, the freeing religion the religion that brings you peace through the God who brings peace. I want to remind you as we wrap this up about the God that we're talking about. It's this God, the God who looked at the nation of Israel and he could bear Israel's misery no longer. Couldn't bear it any longer. He couldn't bear their pain any longer. You want to know the kind of person that can't bear the pain of their creation of their children? A parent who cares. A parent who cares can no longer bear the pain of their children. And so he offered us forgiveness through his son, Jesus. And said, if you put your trust in me, 
I will forgive your sins. I will forgive what you have done wrong. You can find confidence and peace in me, that kind of a father in heaven. Go to him, go to him and say, Father, in prayer, say, whatever's happened in my life that I know I should be doing differently is wrong. My friends, this, this could be a big step for you to finally admit what you're doing and saying it out loud, hearing yourself utter the words, it is wrong. Saying, I'm sorry. And coming to learn and know the love of God through his forgiveness in your life, that brings freedom from your past, from your scars, from your pain. When you experience the love of God, when you say, the new path I'm choosing, Lord, is yours. Do you just want to keep living your life like everybody else, worshiping all the other gods, trying to fit in, trying to exhaust yourself, trying to justify to yourself to yourself of the decisions you make, trying to avoid being honest with the decisions that you make and avoid, therefore, the insecurities that you have in your life? Or are you ready for real redemption, real change, and real apologies? I can tell you it is so much easier to find peace. It is so much easier to forgive others. It is so much easier to experience personal forgiveness of your own self to yourself when you have accepted it. In fact, I think it's only possible when you have accepted it and learned it from the Father who created you and who loves you and is willing to sacrifice himself for you. So, blank is wrong. I'm sorry, I'm choosing a new path, a new path following God's will for my life. Here's a couple of questions I think we got for you to think about, and you can discuss this, and you can discuss all the other things in this series, in this topic, in this message even today. You don't have to just stop here, but what often keeps you from, uh, from apologizing? What does it mean to learn forgiveness from God? Think about that. Consider that. Pray on it. And most importantly of all, discuss it with those whom you care about. Because you may just learn something. If you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us in this very moment. Help us to be honest with the path that we're on. Because we know, I mean, our conscience is kind of knocking at the door. Maybe your Holy Spirit is just kind of knocking on our hearts and, and saying, hey, you need to pay attention to this. Hey, this is the area you need to focus on. These are the areas that are holding you back. These are the areas where you need to repent. You need to experience redemption. You need to experience the love and the forgiveness of your Father in heaven those areas, to be honest with where they are, what they are. And take that guilt and that pain and, and that remorse that's maybe been sitting there for a long time, way down deep for years and years past, or maybe very recently, and let those come forward. And in that moment, let God come in. Let His truth that He so loved you that he had that which he loved die 
for those sins, those things you did wrong where you have fallen short. So you would know as Jesus died on the cross through that symbol of the cross that you would know that you are loved and forgiven and you can experience that and accept that right now. Lord, my prayer is that you would help us to make the hard turn, to no longer continue on the path that we're on and say, Lord, direct my heart, forgive my sin, help me to experience, show me your love. That can be your prayer today. I'll pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.